worldy, 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 it's the worldies. Tech, techno. Techno, techno. <laughs> I've got a, I'm sort of dipping into the back catalogue of songs that uh, are in my head in those weird intro moments I've been doing lately and it's getting worse. Hello, No, they're great. They're, they're just, save them. Save each time you think of one, write it down and we'll do it at the beginning of the next episode. It'll be a thing that we do. Yeah, what you mean is I should plan. But unfortunately, none of these have been planned. Hello, Kyle. How are you? Hi, Joel. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'll tell you one thing I've not been doing. I've not been trimming my (laughs) moustache. I can see that. I can see that you have a... You've got a little... uh, You've got a little fluff on the old top lip. Are you Movembering? I think if I can do November retroactively, then yes, because I didn't. I have I have been growing it since the beginning. Yeah, so I was shaving the other day, and I just thought, why not keep the top lip? And it is November, and I thought, well, if I can find out that I can start raising money for charity halfway through November, I'll just do that. So that's what I'm going to do. So, listener, if you want to contribute to my November account, I will put the details on. Maybe not this episode, but at least the next one. That's what I'm going to do. November. Welcome, listener, to the Absolute Worldy Football Podcast. That's the intro. That's one of our best, I think. (laughs) What have you been up to, Joel? Not going outside, except to meet one government-mandated human being in a park. And that's it. Otherwise, I'm staying in. I'm keeping COVID free. Uh, Yeah, but the way you said it makes it sound kind of sexy. Uh, Yeah, man. It's a, uh, well, I mean, listen, who's not got COVID fantasies? That's a whole. Hey, do you want to be my government mandated person to meet me in the park? No, thanks. You think that's what Mourinho said to Tagia Dobele in the summer <laughs> to meet him on Barnet yeah, Common? Uh, I just think he said, just meet me in the park. And he was like, okay, boss. We might have to explain that one, Joel. <laughs> yeah, that was a very specific niche football related gag. No, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, like everyone, you know, we're we're back to square. It feels like back to square one. And at the same time, it doesn't. People are all over the place. The football's still going on uh, and everything is, you know, hunky-dory as far as the world's concerned. You know, we, we're recording this the week after the election. Uh, we assume if you're listening to us, listener, that you're, you're, you're pleased on some level with the way the US election's gone. Um, you know, everything's going to be fine, Kyle. That's my that's my Movember thoughts well while america has been searching for a new president little mix have been searching for a new pop band and that's what i've been watching almost as ardently as i've been watching the election uh, coverage joel little mix the search and i've got a football story to do a little mix jade from little mix is now a shareholder in her hometown club of shout south shields not shout seals south shields <laughs> football club um wh- what <laughs> so she's always been a fan and she's invested you know is this is this going to be the start of a, a sort of a conglomerate of millionaires investing in south shields because there's three three or four pop stars from south shields joe there's jade four. from mix there's joe mckeldry from x factor there's shoal cole from i think pop stars the rivals yes no Girls Aloud versus, oh my God, who were the boy band? Uh, they were called One True Voice. 
Wow. See, you listen to this podcast, listener, and you get all these football nuggets, and then suddenly something really interesting gets said. Well, it's funny you should mention the Northeast, Kyle, uh, and that part of the world, because we've got a guest this week. I know, I know, shocking. And she's come on to chat with us, uh, and we've got, listener, oh my God, we've got a classic worldie in this week's worldie. When was the last time we actually did that? You know, the format of this podcast. Before there was a pandemic, I think. Yep. Well, we will be subjecting our guest, the theatre director Anna Gervin from the Northeast, to both a this week's worldie and a classic worldie after this. Welcome back, listener, to the Absolute Worldy Football Podcast. We've got a guest, Kyle. Thank goodness, because being in lockdown too means that we're not together. It feels strange to be apart again, Joel, but it feels better having someone else reaching out across the airwaves. Hi, Anna. Hi. How's it going? Anna Gerber, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. How's lockdown two treating you? Um, I'm in this weird lockdown too. It's like, I actually have some work to do this lockdown too. So I'm like the one that gets to leave the house and stuff, which was like, not the not the situation the first time around. I was very, very, I was very mournful of losing my job and kind of like, oh, what happens next? And now I'm like, see you at nine o'clock in the morning. I'm kind of like resentful of everyone else now. I'm that person. Ugh. So yeah. Me and Carl just do this. This is our profession, right? Sure. Does that mean you're an essential worker? I don't know, actually. I haven't tried that one. I should try and see if I can push in queues places, shouldn't I? Does that make me a key worker? That happened to me yesterday. I was outside distantly queuing for a coffee and someone came to the front and they said, hi, everyone. I've got this pass. I work for the NHS. I'm just going to go in. And everyone was like, mm. it was brilliant because it was like that sort of middle class thing of everyone hating her. But also we all have this perception that NHS are heroes, but she didn't behave like a hero. But it was great. Oh, I wish you'd all been there. <laughs> yeah. Essential workers like the NHS are, are obviously having to struggle to go into supermarkets and all that and have to be rude to people. But like you know who's like really essential during this lockdown that's still happening football (laughs) (laughs) segway it's not stopped Kyle no it hasn't it's going on and on and on and I need it in my life I need it guess what I bought yesterday FIFA 21 oh no you're gonna lose so much of your life to a computer game get again well we've got nothing else to do um uh yes well football football Anna which is which is sort of more or less what we talk about on this podcast it's gradually becoming less and less of a thing <laughs> um as our keen-eared listener although frankly having known you for quite some years y- your accent now is is barely barely present no offense meant um I was going to say our keen-eared list- listener would have clocked some northeast tendencies Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that went out a window ages ago. I've had to like get well posh coming down here. It's awful. Do you have that? Could... Thing, do you have that thing when you go home and everyone's like, "Ah, oh, you're so posh!" Ha 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 ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the posh Geordie, and then when I'm other places, I get called Geordiana, and even though it sounds like a Geordie. And then, but then if I get really, really drunk, then that's when it comes out. So I how even... drunk are you now? Not a lot. I mean, I'm on tea. So I was going to have some sherry, actually, because that's what I've got in the house. But it didn't feel right. 
So I, I feel it would be amiss if we didn't ask you the nature of the work you are actually leaving your house to do. It's working at a drama school. So I'm like teaching at a drama, like directing at a drama school, which I'm very grateful for since all theatres are closed right now. Like, holy moly. <sighs> some some um, money coming in. But yeah, do, do doing um, a comedy of errors, which is good fun considering, you know, it's not anything to die. You know, like I needed something to lift me up. Some might say that 2020 has been a comedy oh! of errors. Oh, very good. And some might say the classic worldie that I'm going to be exploring this week is also its very own comedy of errors. But we'll come on to that later. Anna, would you describe yourself as a hardcore magpie? Uh, no, I think it's quite safe to say I am definitely someone who, if someone goes to you from Newcastle and I go, yeah, and they like me support the two, and I'm like, yeah, and then get into it and then realise I have no knowledge at all other than any anything sort of post 1998 I'm gonna say not so much <laughs> so like that's when that's when I think my peak of being proud of being um from the northeast and um and supporting NUFC was when um they came and opened our Domino's pizza um it was like the first Domino's pizza in Newcastle and it was around the corner from my house and Rule Fox and Lee Clark and someone else from that era came and opened our Domino's pizza and I got a signed baseball cap and um, kept it for a long time. I don't have any more though, guys, I'm sorry. It's all right, but... uh, our listener can't see, but you are wearing the famous black and white scarf. So that, that, is, that is enough. I've um, got a, a, um, a sort of a, a football layman's question. I probably should know the answer to this and maybe I do. Obviously, I called you a magpie. That's the nickname of the of, of Newcastle United. You said another one. You said the Toon Army. Is that just the town in your accent? Yeah, I guess I consider that. I support the Town Army. Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose it is. Uh, but not in my accent anymore. And I think I would only ever say Toon if I was talking about the Toon Army. You got the Toon. Uh, maybe I'd do that if I was just... <laughs> oh, yes. Uh on the Met either the tune maybe I wouldn't no I don't think I'd ever say that apart from just now was, so. was that going on the metro to town yeah well done on um I would like to move us on to our classic question before we go to a classic worldie that we ask our guests Anna Gervin what is a worldie well you see where I'm because this is the thing like a worldie are you asking me genuinely like as in what does this word mean to me because that's like meant to be like someone who's really fit. Like as far as, that's like an absolute, I know I've heard of like that, like a goal could be like a total worldy, but it's like uh, someone who's attractive. Like in, in, in Newcastle, you call someone a worldy, it's like, oh, it's a pure worldy or something that, like that. I like a worldy. You're far from the first person to tell us that uh, okay. as far as a lot of people are concerned, this podcast is the absolute attractive person football podcast. <laughs> But you are the first person we've had from Geordie Land, and everyone who says it says, yeah, it's from Geordie Shaw. So you are probably the source, not you personally. <laughs> Why is it a Geordie word, worldy? Where did it come from, apart from the TV show? I don't know. I mean, out of this world? I don't know, worldy? I'm trying to think of this other like slang things that are similar. I mean, we abbreviate everything, though, don't we? So don't. No, I can't. I can't say I'm an authority on that. 
but it's young people. It's not like something I've heard. Yeah, it's like a young phrase. It's something that was probably like since I, since I moved back to Newcastle years ago, heard, yeah. But not like, you don't get the old people on the terraces saying that, as far as I'm aware. Well, I'm not like, I'm there often. I only go to St. James's on Boxing, basically the Christmas. When I go back for Christmas, always scrabbling to get a ticket just to do that bit. And that's me, just the Christmas supporter. You've already told us your football memory, basically, the, the Domino's Pizza grand opening Good and time. your Boxing Day trips to St. James's Park. We're going to take a, another trip to St. James's Park with me and Joel for a classic worldie about Newcastle after this. We are a team, a team of men. We play football and we're going to win the cup that everybody covered. So it's big, shiny hands made of gold. Anna. What's the buzz been outside of football in the last 10 days? What is everyone talking about? Ooh, um, oh, gosh, I know you're asking. Uh, I think probably, hmm, <laughs> uh, strictly, I don't know. Is that? <laughs> That's right, the US election. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the other thing. strictly. Not everyone's been talking about the US election, have they? That's probably, <laughs> you're right. Probably more people have been talking about Strictly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like finished. They won that, didn't they? That's completed. We still need to wait to see who wins Strictly. So. Well, that's true. One of these battles, I mean, <laughs> fine. Um, <laughs> I sent you a little, uh, obviously there's been memes aplenty. Memes are popping to do with the election. Yeah. Trump and Biden and yada yada. Now, I sent you a little meme. What did you make of that? Explain to our listeners what you see in there. Um, I saw a meme of Donald Trump um, uh, as uh, it's situated as Kevin Keegan circuit 96 um, when he was kicking off to uh, Alex Ferguson for, for, I can't even remember what it was now, bad mouthing was that something. And he was just like, and, and he just got really heated and was just like, yeah, we'd love to be, We'd love to beat them. We'd love. It. He was just like on Sky News or something talking about it, and kicked off, and it was all a bit awkward. Um, and it was the equivalent, but it was Donald Trump saying that over Pennsylvania. And I guess the, it was relevant because they didn't win that match, and <laughs> he didn't win Pennsylvania. So you know what? why even bother with this classic world? You nailed it. Oh, you don't remember, but you do remember. That's pretty. You pretty much got it in a nutshell. Oh. I put I sent you a picture of Trump's head superimposed on Kevin Keegan's in that infamous TV meltdown in 1996. But how did it happen? Why did it happen? Let's find out. We're going to look at Newcastle United in 1995-1996 season when they were known as the Entertainers. The Entertainers probably the most famous nearly team of all time. Another team that was a sort of a similar level to Newcastle, not a big club at the time. Obviously, that's hard for you to hear, being a Geordie yourself, but not one of the top clubs in the country. The year before, in 1995, Blackburn Rovers, another similarly small club, won the league. Another dramatic finish. But for Newcastle, the year after, it didn't end so well, did it, Anna? And I think we're that we're definitely that um with those supporters that and I, I similarly feel like every time someone talks about like winning and trophies and stuff. It doesn't matter because it's still in my head think we've always, even though we always end 13th, we're always the top of the league. That's the, We're in the top 13, you know? And for me, somehow, that's enough. 
and everyone else. We always talk like we've been these top, we were in these top four clubs, but it's just like never really been the case. I don't know where this has come from. It's like some weird sort of hypnosis that's happened in the Northeast about Newcastle United. And we treat ourselves and we talk about ourselves like this incredible club and actually we've, we've been nowhere. Though I do remember, what was the trophy that we won? We won something. So I remember going down to the town moor and, and the and the moor was lined with people and I went there and we watched Shira holding up a cup on the top of a bus. What was that? Well, you know what? Not part of my research, but I'm going to have to say it's probably the Intercoto <laughs> Cup. <laughs> okay, so something that no one really cared about. Exactly. <laughs> this classic reality people did care about and what you're saying is sort of true in the cl- for the club in general, they've been through so much turmoil, and I'm sure we might get a chance to talk about that in a bit. But at that time, they were top of the top of the league for a very long period of that season, and they really set up a sort of a year of passion and drama. A lot of my research this week is from a book called The Mixer by Michael Cox, and he does this like brilliant correlation between the summer that was to come in '96, ni- Euro '96, and three lines on a shirt, Badil and Skinner. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, good old days. I remember going to school discos and literally wearing the 1996 England kit and taking it off and swinging it around my head. It was a passionate time. But they, he says, Michael Cox sort of implies that this is all thanks to Kevin Keegan's Newcastle team that really set everyone up for this drama and passion. Not so sure myself, but it was an incredible end to the season. Uh, Newcastle was something like 11, 12 points ahead with a certain amount of games to go. They didn't make it. What do you know about Kevin Keegan, Anna? What do I know about the man? Um, had really lovely hair. Um, and was he from? I, I just know that we just all love him. And it's weird because in my head, like as a kid, like when I look back at him, I always think he's a Geordie because he's just, he is an honorary Geordie. But he's not. He's from like Doncaster or somewhere. It always like, like knocks me out. At. I always expect he's going to speak with a Geordie accent. But... <laughs> But he doesn't but we just love him and he was passionate you know he cared and he just sort of I, I think that's what it was one of the last managers that felt like he was in it for the team not for any like anything and for the and for the well actually no Rafa I think Rafa was sort of getting that kind of following as well about you know the the city were behind him but I think that was more because everyone hated Mike Ashley so and um we we just knew that the more we supported him the more it would like get on his wick so it started in that way I think and then actually went oh he's actually pretty good he's doing good stuff and I like he's got that sort of do you remember that Julio Giordio who was from like the fast show <laughs> there was that there was that footballer that character they had and he sort of spoke and then no that was Chris what that was the other one but he was like and he had this sort of Geordie accent that's kind of Raph and Nadal not Riddell, Rafa Benitez. Considering you've suggested that your your Newcastle football knowledge stopped in 1996, that was that was almost modern day. We got Rafa Benitez there, uh, uh, Champions League winning manager of Liverpool, who then became uh, another Geordie legend uh, for our non-football uh, aware listeners. You also mentioned the most hated man in Newcastle, who we are not talking about now because it's a classic worldie, not a current worldie. Uh, uh, that, of course, being Mike Ashley, owner of Sports Direct and Newcastle United, hated by every Toon fan, from what, I, from what I hear. I mean, he was going to try and rename a metro station. That, I mean, come on. Who do you think you are? He was going to try and change St. James's Park metro station to the Sports Direct metro station. No one's calling it the Sports Direct arena, ever. Sorry. <clears throat> anyway, rant over. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> um, 
you know, speaking of rants, back to Kevin Keegan, whose famous rant inspired this whole classic worldie. He was a legendary player for many clubs, including Newcastle, also teams like Hamburg. People forget he was quite um, successful on the continent. Very rare for an English player. Uh, and he, when he became a manager, he was not known for being a tactical manager, rather someone uh, you would uh, sort of classify a man manager, finding a way to inspire each player, a combination of support, you know, bringing his own life experience and positivity. Um, his number two is sort of assistant manager was a guy called Terry McDermott, who had been an, uh, an ex-teammate of his. Now, Terry McDermott had no coaching badges. Um, he had no, seemingly no inclination to want to even be a coach. Um, in fact, Michael Cox says in his book that the last place he was spotted after he retired was manning a burger van at a race course. But Kevin thought, I could use this guy. Now, he didn't quite convince the club of the caliber of his choice and they and Keegan actually paid all of Terry McDermott's wages himself uh, which is you know a glowing uh, sort of support from the club there for their staff um, so at the beginning of the season the season where they went so close but yet so far they signed David Ginler for the left wing and Les Ferdinand for their number nine position Are you familiar with these players Anna? I am I am it seems bizarre to think that we managed to get such players on the on our team. Well, da David Ginla had been a sort of starlet at Paris Saint-Germain, came in. On the other wing was Keith Gillespie, a sort of established Premier League player. Ferdinand replaced Andy Cole up front and behind him in the number 10 role was Peter Beardsley. So these are four quality attacking players. And basically the rule from Keegan was pass the ball to Les, crossed the ball to Les. Les Ferdinand scored 21 goals before February, which even in today's sort of Premier League full of world-class players, never happens, rarely happens. I can't even think of a time where it's happened, it happens that close to Christmas. That's after about 25 games, that's insane. And it was all to do with the blistering pace of the wingers, cross, 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 goal, goal, goal. What a start for Newcastle. Now, the defenders were a bit worried about how uh, exposed they were being left by this gung-ho approach. Um, so the, the, four, the four back four um, went to Keegan uh, near the end of the season, building up to the crunch time when they were ahead by a certain amount of points, looking like they were going to win the league and said, boss, um, we, we need some, uh, some sort of assistance. Uh, maybe we can have like a defensive midfielder or just sort of, you know, be a bit less gung-ho. And he said... Do you all want to play on Saturday? That was his response. Wow. Uh, he was asked at the time as well, when everyone was waxing lyrical about the sort of amazing attack yet risky defence of his team, he defended it by saying this. Were my fullbacks too adventurous? Yes. Were my centre-backs too skillful? Better going forward than going back? Yes. But that is what we built. So he, was, he wasn't looking back. He was changing... For no man. I, and the game that epitomised the sort of the sort of burning fire of this team, this, this team, they never had a nil-nil in the whole season, which is very rare. Usually a team has at least a couple of nil-nils. He, he nope, like, not Newcastle. He is like a positive Trump, isn't he? It's like, you know, he's paying his assistance wages. He's like gung-ho, all guns blazing, nutcase football. I remember everyone being really excited because they just were winning 4-3, 6-3, 5-2. The centre-backs were scoring chips from the halfway line. It was great. But he is, he's got that kind of bombast, doesn't he? I love that. He won't change for you. 
This is, you know, he's got his technique, he's got his, he's got his tactics, and he's going to stick to them. He things started to go wrong though. They had this lead. We're but we're coming up to sort of peak meltdown time now. Uh, his one of his fullbacks, John Beresford, was getting berated by him about his positioning, and obviously he was trying to be a bit more defensive. Keegan was like, "Uh-uh, we're not doing this." He remonstrated with him to such an extent that John Beresford audibly was heard to tell Keegan to fuck off. Uh, and he was instantly substituted. <laughs> Keegan was asked about it afterwards and he said, I can't have my players saying that to me. Hey, fair juice. It was his way or the highway. They then, <laughs> another, so another, that was, a, that was a warning. That's a red flag, right? I'd say that was a red flag. Another red flag, he signed Fustino Esprilla. Do you remember him? No. No. So he was a Colombian striker. He uh, had never been to the continent before, uh, at least never been to England. He turned up, I think, at Newcastle Airport in a sort of sheepskin coat, shivering, basically, um, and was instantly put up front in the place of Peter Beardsley. So two strikers. So we already had four attacking players, one slightly behind Les Ferdinand. Now, no, just stick another one up there with Les. More goals, more goals, if anything. And Esprit was a quality player, clearly one of the best players in the Premier League, but actually Newcastle won less games with him than they did without him. And this is all building up to the Liverpool game. The game. One of the most classic games of Premier League history. Do you remember the score, Anna? Oh, God, no. 4-4. Four, four. Oh. There were goals with it throughout this game. There were goals in the second minute. There was a goal in the 92nd minute. They led 2-1 Newcastle. They led 3-2. They ended up conceding a 4-4 a four, four equaliser from Stan Collymore in the last minute of the game. Keegan slumped over the advertising boards. Um, but he did reflect on saying... Uh, that this is what he said to John McDermott, his uh, random number two. I know I should be disappointed, but I'm elated. What? He just loves the drama of the game. He just he was so caught up in the dra- absolute drama of that moment, and it remains one of the most famous games of all time. And that's the thing about Keegan. So does mm-hmm. that when he is that when he had the meltdown? Then is that when he starts saying, "I would love it. I would love it if we beat them." Talking about United. Yeah. It was, I think it was either before that game or in the aftermath of that game. Um, and obviously his passion got the better of him. Not for the first time. You can ask John Beresford about that. Well, it's, what they, it's like what he always said, the Keegan's not for turning. So there you go. Did he say that or did you say that? No, I think Margaret Thatcher said that about herself and I just slipped in Keegan. <laughs> but he should have done. It would have been pretty, re- so you'd have been like you'd have been like ten or eleven at the time, right? So how, was what was like the? Do you have any recollection of the excitement building all over the tune before uh, before f- the failure that then happened, not not winning the league? Uh, what was I doing then? I can't say strongly that I did, and I, I suppose all my footballing kind of experience under them was just following whatever my brother did mostly, other than the Domino's Pizza thing, but which I probably followed him there as well to be fair but he supported um Spurs so I would only know what's happening with Spurs to be honest so I, I don't know I can't really remember my mate actually yeah my mate Nina I remember she used to go to loads of games she probably was getting well excited about it but I, yeah it's probably more interested in um don't know my little pony or something <laughs> general, you don't do that at 11 yeah I mean <laughs> I was gonna say a oddly gendered b age-wise yeah, way off <laughs> But no, I guess it probably really was very exciting. <laughs> but not well, the uh, the title was actually won to close off this classic worldie in the northeast by Manchester United at Middlesbrough. 
Oh, that's okay then. So Keegan was made to eat his words. In the end, he didn't love it. He did not love it at all when Manchester United pipped his team. It, it was, I think it still remains to this day, the furthest a team has been in, in lead, been in first place in the Premier League history without winning the title. Oh. Kevin, we hardly knew thee. Donald <laughs> Trump, Kevin Keegan. Who knew that was where this was going? <laughs> Personally, I'd be more impressed if you linked it all to Strictly. <laughs> hey, maybe he's going to be on the next season, Keegan. I bet he'd be pretty good. But or he Trump. Might- He's not for turning though, so he wouldn't do any spins. <laughs> and that was this week's classic world day. Everyone's talking about the football. Do you want to talk with me about Welcome back, listeners. So it falls to me to present this week's Worldie. Uh, now, Anna, if I was to t- say to you that Manchester United were top of the league, would you be surprised? Um, not really, I guess. Well, they usually are, aren't they? But I don't think they're doing very well at the moment, are they? What if I told you that they were top of the league for the first time in their history? That that would surprise me, yeah. Because I'm talking, of course, about Manchester United women's team. Ah, yeah. So, as of this weekend, Manchester United women have gone top. And I know what you're thinking, listening, you're thinking, how could Manchester United women, Manchester United, only just be top of the league? Well, they beat... They beat Arsenal, one of the great powers of the women's game, 1-0 at the weekend, to go top for the first time in their history. How does that work? Well, Manchester United, the most famous team in Britain, if not the world, debatable, have only had a women's team for two years. What? That's cray-cray. Uh, it is. It's incredibly cray-cray. Um, uh, I, I'll give you both one guess as to Why? It's a pretty predictable answer com- considering football. Sexism. But that close, but not, not quite. <laughs> um, no, they couldn't get the uniforms right. Couldn't get the oh, money right. Yeah. Money. Money. Oh, so much money. Exactly. It, it's a complete fallacy, obviously. And there's so much money. There is now obviously loads of money in the women's game. But uh, when the American... Malcolm Glazer bought Manchester United in 2005. They, uh, the, the, the statement that came out was that the women's team would no longer be a part of their core business interests. Uh, and I have a quote from an anonymous player at the time uh, in the Manchester Evening News saying, they don't even tell us to our face that we're no longer needed. It's insulting because they did have a women's team. So they've only had a women's team for two years, but in 2005, when they bought the club, they disbanded the team, which is, Kind of shocking, really, when you think about like investment in grassroots sport and and trying to encourage people to be in the game, to buy into one of the biggest institutions in world football and then to have the gall to shut down the team. Um, Really, really bizarre uh, thing to have done. Um, So uh, we've spoken a lot before, Carl, about how the women's game in this uh, has, has consistently suffered from things like that, especially when it's just about to sort of really take off. So, um, Anna, did you know that in 1921 or 1920, women's football was bigger than men's football? No, I did not. So they had no. big, they had bigger uh, gates, bigger capacities in the stadiums. More people wanted to see it. There were more players who were women than men. And then the FA, in about the most British sexist statement ever, uh, uh, of course, said the game of football is quite unsuitable for females and ought not to be encouraged. Hmm. Uh, and w- football women from were banned from using football pitches uh, owned by professional and amateur teams for 50 years. They're being threatened, basically. They were threatened. 
And then, right, this just can't be going on. There's probably all these crazy mumbo jumbo things about like it makes you get pregnant or something if you run around with the ball. And I don't know, I'm trying to scare uh, them. There was, there was something when we spoke about this, I think a, a two years ago, Joel, about actually it was damaging to the pelvis of a woman oh. and oh. therefore would, it would affect her ability to, yeah, carry children. Mm -hmm. that's the main thing women need to do also just to remind you to have children. Mm. yes yeah. of course of course yeah. can't play football mm -hmm. um so mm -hmm. then um by the end of the 70s there was a team in manchester called the manchester united supporters club ladies um they were a founding member of the northwest women's regional football league in 1989 and then in 2001 they unofficial they formed an official relationship with manchester united only for the Glazers to come along four years later, Malcolm Glazer and his sons, and buy the club, get rid of the women's team and fold them completely. So flash forward 12 years, and we end up in this situation where this is totally bizarre to me. And I think this is really telling for football in this country. And also I feel like for all three of us, like just thinking about things that we were encouraged to do as kids. Um, so pre-2017, when United came, uh, decided to launch a women's team, the Manchester United Foundation was coaching 3,000 girls a year in Manchester, yeah. right? So they had uh, an FA Tier 1 Girls Regional Talent Club and they ran girls teams of all year groups up to the age of under 16, at which point they would just release them all. And they would not... Into the wild. Into the... Well, you, well <laughs> I guess the wild, if you can call, uh, for example, in 2016... The England under-17 goalkeeper, who uh, Emily Ramsey, Manchester United fan, lived in Salford all her life, played from the club from the age of eight, had to move to Liverpool. Mm. Alethea Paul, midfielder, comes up for the Man United's teams, also a, a United uh, born and raised, moved to City. And in fact, bringing us right back up to the present day. And it really just goes to show what happens when you actually pay attention and invest. Manchester United, they've only been around for two years and they are now top of the Women's Super League. And Ella Toon, who scored the only goal in their Arsenal win, had to spend six years of her career, sorry, apologies, was at their academy for six years, but then the, got to 16 and ended up having to go to Blackburn Rovers and then Manchester City before coming back to the team that she supported. Um, and the, what, the thing that's changed, and it's, this, is the real, this is the real sad thing that I will uh, end this week's Worldie on, because it's really exciting for a team that's only been around for two years to suddenly be top of the whole pile. It's an extraordinary turnaround. And they have got a lot of academy players. They've got ex-England international Casey Stonian as the manager. They've done amazingly well. But the, the, the truth is, the women's game's been growing. The World Cup happened. The only reason that the Glazers, the people who own Manchester United, have formed a women's team is of course money. So 12 years after having said it was not financially viable, Kyle and Anna, they now think it is financially viable. It's a, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs where something which is the national game that so many people love is only viable uh, when there's money involved in it. Yeah. That was more of a statement than a question, wasn't it? <laughs> A good statement. A good statement. A good statement. Um, I'll, I'll end by telling you that the two highest selling Manchester United shirts, as we've briefly touched upon on this podcast before, are Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. That's Manchester United in general, both men and women. The two highest selling shirts are the USA internationals that they signed this summer, Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. So clearly investment in the women's game is worthwhile. Uh, and that, uh, to end on a bit of a sour note, 
should be reflected in the fact that during this lockdown, where we've talked about you've gone back to work, Kyle and I have spent all this time doing a podcast, boys' academies are still open, girls' academies have shut. Shut the front door. Yes. So this week's worldie is we should care about women's football more than just money and we should also invest in women playing the game from the beginning of their career to the end. Uh, And that is the sad and yet positive state of affairs of Manchester United women. Okay, football is good. Football is fun. Football is there for everyone. I can't really be bothered to follow it properly, but I'll tell you one thing. I prefer it to broccoli. So perhaps partly because of how depressing that last segment was, uh, as I ranted, as I want to do about uh, the underinvestment in women's football in this country, uh, Kyle has abandoned us. <laughs> Although <laughs> actually it's because we're recording this of an evening and I, I shouldn't say this, and he'll get annoyed. It's because his wife has a Zoom book club and they share the capabilities of uh, uh of being able to zoom in the evening well that's him showing solidarity with women actually rather than turning against them you know he's like yes i support my wife and her book club which i hope are reading like men are from mars and women are from venus or something like that this week or not because it's dreadful but a good laugh thank you so much for coming on and uh, chatting with us uh, i feel like the like i've learned a lot I've, my worldy moment of the entire episode was was uh figuring out after 20 plus years of being a football fan, 30 years of being a football fan, what Toon meant, had, I've just accepted it. As a seven, as a, no, as an, I don't know. I was like, cartoons, cartoons are black and white. Magpies are black and white. This don't make any what sense the, to me. I just accepted it as an idiotic southerner. <laughs> what cartoons are black and white? Honestly, I don't know where my brain was at. <laughs> But yeah, well, you know, tsunami. Uh, but I gather, uh, well done for uh, being brave enough to come on and listen to these two idiots ramble on about football, which a lot of, more and more, I feel like this year, people have not been brave enough to come and just be like, hey, absolute worldie, let's chat. Um, <laughs> but um, I gather that you are uh, entering the podcast realms yourself. You make it all look so easy. And like all the, so I've been working on a podcast with some um, friends of mine who started up a sort of uh, women's um, writers group about five years ago now. And it was like trying to get international um, female voices shown on like the London stage. And um, they were very successful and had like a few readings at the, um, in the Hackney Attic and Hackney Picture House. And then it went off, you know, everyone just gets busy with other stuff and it just went on a bit of the back burner. And then since lockdown happened, it was like, wow, well, what, maybe we should try and reignite that and how could we do it? And kind of didn't want to go down the, let's make some really like low budget Zoom readings on like everyone was doing and thought, well, let's try and do, yeah, like actual podcasts, kind of plays with good sound design and like all of those elements and proper like excellent actors involved um, and find six writers to give them the opportunity from all over the world. So um, yeah, I wasn't actually having to do a huge, I was directing a couple of them. So I wasn't having to do like- So you were, so you was like, you were doing sort of, so you didn't have to, so the they're all new pieces of, uh, creative work they're not there's no like chat around them or it's all like narrative yeah so there's chat as well so it's sort of um really wanted to have like interviews with the writers themselves just talk, like talking about the play but also talking about 
their experiences being female writers across the world um, and also the subject matter of their pieces. And then we asked them to choose someone who could come and talk to us about like an element of the play. So like um, one of them was a dramaturg from um, another like London theatre. So she was able to talk a bit about what dramaturgy is. And then we had someone else um, who had written a play about climate change, kind of, kind of about climate change, kind of about protest and, um, and, and revolution. And she had, was inspired by a book this woman had written with several other people about climate change and like um, how creatures, animals like called monsters, those that have kind of mutated because of how we've affected the world. And we, we call them like monsters, but actually they're kind of incredible survivors and we should be kind of uh, uh, applauding these beings. And anyway, so we found one of the women that wrote it um, and we interviewed her. So she was talking a lot about, yeah, those things like our so, own. So impact. is it? So it's six episodes. Six, yeah. And it's called currently. Uh, it's called the Fizzy Sherbet Podcast, available on all good, uh, you know, podcasting platforms. Um, yeah, we had we had one uh, every Monday, but they, we finished them kind of uh, in September. So we do have another one coming out, which I think is just going to be an interview podcast. I'm not sure of the date of that yet, but look out for that. Um, and yeah, so it's like a play, then an interview with the writer, and an interview with like another guest kind of related to the play. Yeah, it's been really, really good fun, really nice creative venture to have during lockdown and like some amazing actors because people are so available and up for it. He's <laughs> in getting people on board. Um, so the, yeah, the quality is really high and, um, and it's really great to see actually a lot of the women that we work with who have been like applying for awards and things during the lockdown and seeing their names on all these like short lists and long lists and going, oh, we work with them. Da, da, da. So yeah. Listener, support female creative practitioners support our industry me and Carl sit here week after week chatting about football but you're fully aware by now that that is not necessarily where we work we work in the arts uh, mm-hmm. and as ever with all of the uh, way these things work female creatives and um, female identified creatives have suffered worse in lockdown of course they have that's how life works support them is the fizzy sherbet podcast available wherever you get your podcasts Anna, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Ah, it's wicked. I mean, I'm going to dine out on the fact that I know someone who has a signed cat by Wolf Fox, who, when I was a kid, was one of my favourite footballers. Also, oh. we didn't really delve into this enough. They came to a, a, a Domino's peak. Like, isn't it weird that athletes can, like, rock up at, like, a Burger King or whatever and be like, eat this burger, I support it. Very odd. Very odd. We probably do an episode entirely about like football and it's footballers and their dodgy deals with like, well, yeah. endorsements. Yeah, for sure. That's the thing. They must have just been like told, oh, we'll give you loads of free pizzas, but then you know, they're just going to run it off at the like training ground. Not me at the like, <laughs> I don't know, the car park around the back of Greg's. That's not happening. Which is literally where we used to play football as kids. So, oh. <laughs> uh... Yeah. Car park around the back of Greg's, everyone's favourite football pitch. That would have been a better name for the stadium uh, for St James's Park than what Mike Ashley tried to name it. <laughs> I've got a second dig at Mike Ashley, and maybe on a future podcast listener, especially those of you who don't know anything about the world of football, we will explain. Maybe we'll get you back on Anna, and we can have a right old rant about oh. Mike Ashley rather than reliving the glory, glory Kevin Keegan years. <laughs>
That sounds good. Uh, for now, thanks very much. And uh, one more time, Fizzy Sherbet Podcast. Get downloading, get it in your whole smash five stars and subscribe and all of the things that we tell you to do for us as well. Good as Nigel, he lost that ball. And Terry, he had a fall. And Simon and Michael and Jeffrey. Nigel again, and Williams, and Bobby, and Travis, and Sparrow, and Blue Tits, and... You're just naming birds. Welcome back, listener. And welcome back, Kyle. You ran away just for a little bit of uh, chatting with Anna. Did she scare you off with her tales of the tune? Uh, briefly, yes. When I came back uh, off air, I just I had to go off for a bit. You know what it's like, busy Zoom world. I'm sorry, listener, but I'm back now. You are. Uh, well, I really enjoyed that. I mean, it was a, we were a little bit uh, uh, pushed for time this week, so it did feel like you and me were talking quite a lot. Uh, but uh, Anna's, Anna's story of dominoes uh, <laughs> and Newcastle footballers rocking up uh, tickled me. She also, uh, I, should, I should hasten to add, messaged us after we recorded uh, uh, with her to tell us that basically she has about four or five other extraordinary football stories, including her father messaging... messaging? Uh, uh, measuring even the decibel levels at Newcastle United's football stadium, St. James's Park, uh, and discovering how loud it was. In fact, her stories that she's told us about were so good. There's all four of them, five of them. I think we're going to get back on again just to tell us, just to tell us those stories in person because they are pretty excellent, eh, Kyle? Maybe this is telling us, Joel, that instead of just telling our guests, don't prepare anything, just come on. Uh, and then get all stressed out of the fact that you don't know what to talk about because we're talking so much about football. Maybe we should just say, prepare, guys. Nah. It's about football. Do you know any stories in your life about football? Because nah. people just tend to say no when the answer is, if they think about it, yes, lots. Nah, I like the randomness. <laughs> I also liked it when she uh, thought that the most watched thing in the world in the last couple of weeks was strictly as opposed to the US election. Not Little Mix the Search, which takes me back. I forgot, listen, you know, the avid listener might have realised I didn't say all four of the South Shield celebrities that I wanted to. And this one's a contentious one. Perry from Little Mix is also from the Northeast. Maybe I've assumed she's from South Shields, but I think she is. Listener, tell me she's not. Unbelievable. Had Invest. Had Invest to... in South Shields. You had to bloody... <laughs> had to get that in, didn't you? <laughs> so, Joe, what are you going to be doing for the next episode? Are you going to shave off your beard and keep your moustache? No, I'm going to keep my beard. I'm, I don't need to look like you. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I'm going to... Um, what am I going to do? I'm going to... Um, probably, probably, you know, send a petition to the government to reopen girls' academies. How about that? That seems like something... In fact, our listeners should do that. Everyone tweet the Department of Sport, Culture and Sport. Oliver Dowden, I think his name is, and say, why are girls' academies not open and boys' academies are? It's fundamentally the sexist and wrong. The Department of Culture, Media and Sport. That's the one. D-C-M-S. Uh, um, and actually, during the recording, that's our uh, chatbot for the the department we were just talking about, uh, as our Oliver Dowden chatbot, he's, they're already having hand, hands ringing over the fact that the chairman of the FA, Greg Clark, has just come out with some absolute racist clangers. Not one, not two, not, but maybe even more than three. And we'll have to cover that on next, next episode's pod. At point of recording, and probably by the time you've listened to this, he will be gone uh, and no longer chairman of the FA, and we will delve into that on the next pod. Kyle, 
what an ep. Uh, my worldy moment uh, is entirely to do with finding about, out about Fizzy Sherbet podcast, uh, Anna's podcast that is right at the top of my listening. I've downloaded uh, all the available episodes and so should you, listener. Uh, your worldy moment of the app? I think the general comparison of Kevin Keegan and Donald Trump, I think that's clear for everyone to see. Uh, clearer than it was before, certainly, and something we should all think about in the coming months before January. Got nothing else better to do. So on that note, until next time, listener, goodbye. Bye. That was the Absolute Weldy Football Podcast by Kyle Ross and Joel Samuels with theme music by Adam Janota-Bazowski and Amachada Patel. Absolute Weldy is dedicated to the memory of Liam Seeker. Please do remember to like, share, subscribe, follow us at Weldy Podcast on Twitter, Absolute Weldy Football Podcast on Instagram, and drop us a line anytime at absoluteweldypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Oh, I've got one about Shearer and how our, so his English teacher, who also happens to be my brother's friend's godfather, told Shearer to like, he could never come to anything playing football and he should just stick to his books. And so when he became the um, captain of the England squad, our local paper, the Chronicle, like got a photograph of my English teacher and put a dunce's cap on top of him and said, because Shearer had told this story and everyone was like, oh. Mr. Dorney, that was his name. Kick ball with foot, football, yeah.